Lord Jesus, you are the true light who has come into the world. May we be instilled with the faith that we need to ever follow that light all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. You all must celebrate New Year like I do at 10 o'clock or you don't require much sleep. So I'm glad to see everyone here this morning. When was the last time that God called you to do something that intimidated you? Or maybe something that excited you? Or maybe something that challenged you? If the Barna group is correct at all, then the answer for most of us is probably not all that recently. In a newer study, Barna found that 68% of Christians claim that they are bored, B-O-R-E-D, bored with their faith. That's alarming. That's nearly two out of every three Christians claim that they have a stagnant, dull faith. So the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, does that describe us? Does that describe our relationship with God? Does that describe our faith? Amen to that. Now, boring, dull, stagnant faith might seem like an insignificant little matter, but boring Christianity is no trivial problem. If you're born with your faith, it can have serious consequences. David Kinneman, who's the CEO of Barna and who's an author and has written extensively on why many Christians are abandoning the faith, he points out that while we may be quickly tempted to name some of the obvious culprits as to why many people are leaving the faith, such as things like unanswered skepticism, hypocritical leadership, exhaustively long-winded, dull, pointless sermons preached by know-it-all rectors... (laughs) not our church, right? (laughs) What we might not guess is the massive negative effect that apathetic faith is having on generations of Christians. Not just this generation, but generations. Kinnaman explains in several of his books that a lifeless faith is a serious problem. I don't know about you, but I found this warning to be absolutely true. As I've thought back through friends of mine who over the years have left the faith, Many of them have expressed to me that one of the chief reasons why they left the faith is that they found the faith. They found church to be boring, maybe even inconsequential to their life. It makes me think of a guy that I used to work with, a friend of mine named Zach. Zach came to faith after I left the company, but he reached out to me during a really dark time in his life that led him to faith in Jesus. He was going through his second divorce, and Zach is the same age as me, and this was years ago, so this is a turnaround uh, in a very short amount of time. His first wife had taken complete custody of their daughter, and what he discovered and what he came to realize is that his drinking was the main problem, and that his drinking had gotten out of control. All of that ultimately landed Zach in a church where he found true healing in Jesus, And for years, I watched as Zach's life was transformed. I watched him be baptized, and you could see God's grace transforming Zach's life. But then something happened. I started to notice that Zach was falling back into familiar habits, and so I reached out to him, and this is what he wrote to me. He says, to be honest, church was good for a season, and I still believe in Jesus, but something's changed. I was going to church every week, but not getting getting anything out of the service. I got tired and bored, and so I decided to step away for a season. 
The thing is, Zach's not alone. I know plenty more Zachs out there. I'm sure we all know some Zachs. And if Barna's correct, then maybe some of us are resonating with how Zach feels. There are a lot of people who are bored or apathetic or complacent with their faith, which is kind of ironic when we think about it because Jesus is anything but boring, right? I mean, boring people don't have thousands flocking to hear their message. Boring people don't work miracles and make the impossible possible. Boring people don't start revolutions, and they're certainly not crucified for their messages and their beliefs. Boring people don't change the world. So while Barna may be absolutely correct that a vast majority of us are growing dispirited with our faith, the truth of the matter is it's not because we follow a boring God. Jesus is anything but boring. Okay, so where am I going with all of this? Well, this morning in our gospel lesson in Matthew, we're reminded of a very familiar story. A story about a group of Persian men known as the Magi who were called by God to be part of an exciting story and to go on an incredible journey with God. A journey marked with high risk, great costs, and we require much humility on their part but a journey that they would come to discover was worth any sacrifice they made along the way. And in the process, what these magi show us is what it means for all of us to be called by God and to accept the invitation to follow him. In short, when we truly follow Jesus and answer his calling on our lives, our journey will lead us into lively, active, and exciting faith. And so as we dig into the story in Matthew 2, and I encourage you to turn your Bibles, it's on page 783 to Matthew 2. As we dig into this story, I want to look at three parts to this narrative. First, the call, then the challenge, and finally the cost. The call, the challenge, and the cost. So let's start with this calling. Now the story of the Magi is probably so ingrained in our minds and so familiar to us that most of us probably don't recognize the scandal that Matthew is painting here in Matthew 2. Now just as a quick aside, we usually say there are three Magi. And if you read Father John's Compass article at all, you'd re- you know that it's not necessarily three. All right, We say three because there were three gifts given, but there could have been two or there could have been 20. It, it really doesn't matter. The real scandal that Matthew paints for us here is not how many magi there were, but what were the magi doing in Israel to begin with? I mean, how did these Persian men know that some star that appeared in the West would lead them to the king of the Jews? On top of that, why would these Persian men even care? I mean, it wasn't like Judaism was some world-dominating religion. So why exactly would these Persians care about the king of the Jews? Not to mention the fact that the Jewish people were a conquered people. And so the real king of Israel would have been who? Caesar. Kind of strange that they would want to take such a long, dangerous journey. The other scandal about the Persians or the Magi was why in the first place that God called these guys to go to Jesus. I mean, why not call somebody from within Judaism? But not only did God not call Jewish people to be some of the first to worship Jesus, he called a group of pagan men who were, by the way, from a part of the world that had previously captured Israel and carried them off into exile. So former enemies. The whole thing is bizarre. And when we read Matthew 2, we're meant to see that scandal that Matthew is painting for us. Jewish, first century Jewish readers would have thought, what are these guys doing there? And what are they doing worshiping our Messiah? 
Now, there's a lot that we can unpack, a lot of meaning here. And as I said, if you haven't read Father John's Compass article, I would encourage you to do so, because he touches upon a lot of this. But for our purposes, one thing I think this highlights for all of us is that God calls all people to join him and to take part in what he is doing in the world. It doesn't matter our background. God calls each of us and invites us into the story of the gospel. He invites all of us into his story of redemption. Now, I think a lot of times we get tripped up thinking that there's something about us that maybe disqualifies us from being used by God. So, for example, maybe some of us think maybe our past sinful lives disqualifies us. Or or maybe there's a sin in our current life that disqualifies us. And we think, God can't use a person like me. God doesn't want to use a person like me. But look at these magi. Not only were these Gentiles, these were pagan men. They were likely Zoroastrians, which is a very different religion than the one that God was revealing through Jesus. Not exactly saints here, folks. And yet none of that disqualified them. God invited them into the story of the gospel. All that to say, there is no sin that we can commit that will disqualify us, just as there's no act of piety that qualifies us either. The amazing part about God's grace is that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Grace is how we get to be part of the story, and grace is how we get the invitation. Or maybe, and this is one I hear more often, we think that we're not equipped for the task that God calls us to. You know, as a priest, I get the great pleasure of recruiting volunteers into ministry. And if you're hearing a little bit of sarcasm in my voice, you are picking up on that correctly, okay? It can be a little tough recruiting volunteers. I got to tell you, my first year in ministry was very, very discouraging. I mean, I got so many rejections. I got more rejections my first year in ministry than eighth grader Chase asking girls to the spring dance, okay? It was a lot of rejections, Well, what I've come to learn or what I've heard over and over through the years is the number one thing people think is that they're not equipped for the task. So they'll say something to me like, Father Chase, I'd love to help out with Sunday school, but, you know, I just don't know anything about teaching. Or I'd love to go on that mission trip, but, you know, I I really don't know anything about building. I got this bad back. I wouldn't be, I'd be in the way. Or, you know, I'd love to be a greeter, but I don't know anything about kindness or being welcoming. My whole job is to point out that none of that matters. God doesn't call the equipped necessarily, but God equips those whom he calls. These magis weren't equipped. They didn't have a comprehensive understanding of who Jesus was. They didn't have a fully developed theology. They hadn't gone through via with Deacon Bree yet. But none of that mattered because it doesn't matter to God. What this story shows us is that God calls all of us, each and every one of us, to be part of his story and to work in his story of redemption, which is exciting. It's invigorating. The question is, are we willing to follow him? The Magi followed him, and their lives were forever changed. Some of us are bored with our faith, or we feel like we're stuck in a rut because for far too long, we've been saying no to God's calling in our lives. What we simply need to learn to do is to say yes. Yes to his invitation. Yes to his call. Yes to a lively, active faith, even when that may intimidate us or push our boundaries. But now let's talk about those boundaries and intimidations 
because there are going to be challenges along the way, and there's a cost that will occur. Just as there are internal obstacles that can keep us from answering God's call, what the story of Matthew 2 shows us is that there are external challenges and real costs to following God. And I think a lot of times, those challenges and costs prevent us from joining in what God is doing. Or maybe it actually discourages us along the way. David Kinnaman, the author I referenced earlier, wrote in his book, Good Faith, that too many Christians have substituted comfortable living for a life changed by the gospel. That is, too many people are satisfied with a tamed, watered-down version of the gospel because it helps them to feel at ease. He later writes, However, if our highest goal in life is God's glory rather than our own enjoyment and comfort, the result will be that our outward behaviors, inward character, and faith will have a drastically different shape. In other words, when we settle for a tamed Christianity that we think that we can manage, yes, we can avoid some of the challenges and costs that are associated with answering God's call, but that comes at another cost and a greater challenge, which is a lifeless, stagnant faith, which is actually a useless faith. As we look at this group of magi, we see a group of men who show us that when God bids us to join him, yes, the story will be incredible, but yes, it will also be challenging. Challenge is part of God's call. It was certainly challenging for the magi. Think about what they had to go through. These were guys who had to navigate 900 miles from the, around the country of Iran into a foreign country trying to find some child in the backwoods town using nothing more than a star for their GPS. Now, I don't know about you, but even though this city is laid out in a grid, I still need my GPS to get around. They're traveling through the desert wilderness trying to find this child with just a star. Talk about a challenge. But then there's also the risk that they took on. Not only did they have the inherent danger of traveling so far from home, but maybe even more incredibly was the risk that was involved in defying Herod. Now, if you don't know this, King Herod was absolutely crazy. He was a brutal, brutal man. This is the man who murdered all boys under two years of age. This is a man who murdered his own sons because he thought that they were turning against him. And God called the Magi to defy this man. You think there was some risk in that? Yeah, there was huge risk. Yet they continued to follow God. Amen. When we follow Christ, he's going to ask us to make some risky moves. He's going to call us to face some challenges. Jesus tells us that when he calls us, he's going to send us out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's risky. He tells us when he calls us that people are going to persecute us, that they're going to say false things about us. That's challenging. But what the Magi show us is that a yes to God's call always outweighs a no. And one of the greatest benefits to embracing these types of challenges is how it encourages and strengthens our faith. In the letter of James, James says this. He says, consider it pure joy, pure joy, when you face trials and challenges of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, a lot of times I think we imagine when Jesus calls us to follow him that for some reason he's always going to make the path smooth and easy. 
And so when we face trials, it kind of throws us off and we're discouraged and we quit way too early. Not that long ago, Deacon Bree Bree and I were commiserating on our journey into ministry. We were sharing war stories along the way. I think she and I imagined that when we received the call into ministry, that Jesus would make it smooth and easy. We'd get to spend all day in the library reading books of theology and pastoral care. But that wasn't always the case, was it, Deacon Bree? We faced a lot of challenges along the way. And you know something? We may not have appreciated the obstacles in the moment, but what we both came to realize is that those obstacles help us now as we face greater obstacles, that those obstacles actually became a way of strengthening and encouraging our faith. What we're seeing here is that faith is like a muscle. It needs to be used and put under tension. Otherwise, it atrophies. But when faith is used, when it's stretched, the stronger and more invigorated it becomes. So let's quickly now talk about the cost. Because the journey certainly costs the Magi, and it will most definitely cost us. Now we're told that when the Magi reached Jesus, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now we don't read it in Matthew, but if you skim over to the book of Editions, we'll read that Mary then grumbled to her husband Joseph, why can't some people just stick to the baby registry? My kid's got no crib for a bed, but he's got incense for days. (laughs) Kidding, of course. You know, there's been a lot of spilled ink about why these gifts were presented. But I believe the big idea is this. Following God will cost us. These gifts were costly. Now, it's true that God's grace is free, but it's equally true that God's grace is not cheap. And when we truly kneel before Jesus and we truly follow him with our lives, it will cost us. Jesus said, Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's costly. The reformer Martin Luther once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. The path to a lively, active, and exciting faith will be costly. And not just financial cost. It will cost us our egos and our pride. Think of these magi. These were prominent men, highly professional And they would have had every reason in the world to think of themselves as superior to this little unknown baby. But when they saw Jesus, what does it say they did? They were so overcome that they fell down and worshipped him. That's humility. That's sacrifice. That's costly. And we should do the same when we follow Jesus. I don't know if you would describe yourself as one of the 68% of Christians who have grown bored or apathetic with their faith. But I do know this. If that is you, your faith does not have to remain that way. God invites all of us into his incredible story to be part of an incredible journey with him, a journey that will certainly be filled with challenges and obstacles and will be costly, but a journey that will be worth any sacrifice we make along the way. As we enter into this new year, may God grant us all the faith and courage that we need to say yes to God's calling on our lives, wherever that may lead us. And may he give us the peace knowing that he is always working in our lives to accomplish his good purposes. And may it give us joy knowing that we've been invited into the greatest story in history and that Jesus wants you to be part of that story. He wants you to follow where he leads. 
The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to follow? Are we willing to say yes? Amen.